So glad that you're all here tonight. That was a, a wonderful time of, of worship. Thank you so much for participating. Um, my name is Jake Blalkamp. I'm the pastor here at Access. We have any new visitors here tonight? If you're here, raise your hand. No new visitors. That's, that's Nick's wife. New visitor right here in the middle. Glad to have you here, man. So glad you're here. Um, we're in, we're, if you remember last week, um, I opened up and I shared about some trees and I said I would bring them back, but I never did. Um, so I wanna, I wanna start off with this. I wanna start off with connecting where, I'm, where I left off last week with, with the redwood trees. And so we talked about these, these trees on the Pacific coast and they, you know, they grow as tall as like 370 feet and they can be like 24 inch um, in diameter or 24 feet in diameter, I'm sorry. And their bark can be like a foot thick. And so these trees are just... Uh, just huge, massive trees. But I wanted to talk about their roots. Um, if you have that picture, you can throw it up. I wanted to talk about their root system. If you notice here, this is almost a sketch. Um, so these huge redwoods, their, their roots actually, you would think they would go deep, deep down into the earth. But their roots actually only go five to 12 feet deep depending. And their roots actually extend 50 feet in each direction. So horizontally, they extend, and then they have other redwoods, and their, their roots, as you can see in the picture, they, they intertwine, and they connect, and they, and they hold each other. And so I got, I got this picture of what, what a Christian community might look like if, if we extend 50 feet wide in every direction, and then we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we just hold each other. So when the waves and the winds and the storms come in life, we never will fall because we have people who are holding us. And what happens is when these roots get connected, they actually start to, to mold and, and form into each other, and they will not separate. So no matter what happens, the, these trees are supporting each other. These roots are, are intertwined, interconnected. And this is the picture that, that, that we get for our community at, at, here at Access, for the small groups that we're going to be forming, is that we're actually going to extend so wide, and we're, we're going to go deep. Don't worry about that. We're going to go deep into, into God's word, into our relationship with him, but we also include the people, the, the brothers and sisters that we're with and it's necessary. You'll never see a redwood growing on its own. You'll never see a redwood growing on its own. You'll never see a healthy Christian growing on their own. Never. We need each other. We need people. So we're, we're continuing tonight on our uh, series on, on small group, on relationships um, within the body of Christ. And we're gonna really dive into something tonight, which I think adds on to what we were talking about last week when we talked about why the reason it's hard for us to actually get down and actually have relationships with people and get, get real with each other. Um, we talked about how social media plays into it and we're gonna mention one more thing, which, which I believe is so... <sighs> necessary to talk about and mention. It's something that I've been feeling for a long time, but I couldn't put words to it. And I believe tonight some people are going to realize something about themselves and it's going to free them of some of the incorrect thinking that, that, that they might have concerning relationships and more importantly, concerning themselves. Because you can never have relationship with someone correctly unless you have relationship with yourself correctly. 
It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love your... So if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. And I don't mean a prideful self. It means a, I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am. I don't need you to accept me. I'm already accepted so I can properly treat and I can properly relate to you because I don't need anything from you. Follow? So the title of my message tonight is The Shame Game. The shame game. It's this thing in life that we go through, that we feel, that almost on a daily basis, um, it's an emotional experience that we have with ourselves and our conscience and our actions and our decisions. It's something that that can really destroy us on the inside. Hey, good to see you again, Bethany. (laughs) <laughs> she was here last week for the first time. We had like a conversation. It was awesome. So I just wanted to say hi to her. Shame, this game that we play. So I want to start off tonight. We're actually going to go into the story of Adam and Eve in, in the beginning, uh, in the beginning in Genesis, in the first book of the Bible. We're going we're gonna to look at Adam and Eve and how it relates to shame. And then we're going to, at the end, we're going to connect it. I'm not sure how, but we'll get there. Um, connect how it relates to relationships and how we relate to each other. So Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. God creates man in his own image. He says it's good. Then out of man, he pulls into the rib and he takes out and he creates woman out of the man. So they're walking and just imagine this. So sometimes it's hard for us to imagine because of the world we live in and the world that we grew up in. But Adam and Eve walked in perfect relationship. It says they walked with God in the garden. They had perfect relationship. They didn't know anything different. It was the only thing they knew was to be perfect. The only thing they knew was peace. The only thing they knew was life. The only thing they knew was perfection, unity with God and unity with each other. It's the only thing that they knew. Then when we look at Genesis 2, it goes into how Adam was actually, he was naming the animals. He was naming, God gave him authority to to name them and God didn't lord over him and say, uh, (laughs) giraffe? What's a giraffe? No, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't shame him that way. He just let him have authority over naming things. And, and he was supposed to go in all the earth, take dominion, be fruitful, multiply. And then there's a verse, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in chapter two, verse 25, it says, and Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. This, it's made me think because if they never knew anything different, why would they ever feel shame, right? So I think they're, 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 they're telling us something that they actually did not know what shame was. Verse 25, they felt no shame. Then the serpent comes, the devil comes, excuse me, pardon me. I got a little bit of runny nose. Serpent comes and he deceives them. Tells them to eat of this tree. You know the story, they eat it, ruined. So we're gonna, here we are in verse, Genesis three, verse seven, and we're gonna read it. So then the eyes, 
of both of them were opened. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They saw something different. There was something that they saw that was a little bit different than what they saw before. It didn't mean their eyes were closed, but there was something in their eyes that shifted so that their filter was different. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we see in verse, 24, verse 25 of chapter two, it says they were naked and they felt no shame. And now in, in, in verse seven of chapter three, it says that they, they realized they were naked. So they, they realized and they sewed fig leaves, but, but, but why? why? Why did they feel, if, if, what, what, what was the difference? What was the change? What was the thing that, that made their, their state of being, their, their emotional state of being different than, when, than before? What was it? Verse eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So if you remember, Adam and Eve were walking with God. And now in verse eight, we see that they were hiding from God. First they're walking, now they're hiding. Verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you as if he didn't know? He answered, I heard you, this is Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam was aware of his current condition. He was, it was the first time that Adam became aware of himself. So previously he was eating from the tree of life. He was having a relationship with God. All of his attention and focus was on God. His focus, his attention was on God. As soon as he chooses to eat the apple and disobey, he becomes self-aware. It becomes about him. It becomes about him. It becomes about him in his state of being, in the condition that he's currently living in. Verse 11. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Think, think about this. There's no one else like, there's no one else on the planet. So God's thinking, who, who told you that you were naked? How do you even know that it's a, it's, that's a, it's a bad thing for you to be naked? Well, who told you that your condition has changed? What has changed? You're speaking a different language. I don't understand because previously we were walking in and it was all about life. And now all of a sudden it's all about you. What changed? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat? Who told you that you were naked? The shame game. So a lot of people think that, no, I guess I used to think that Adam was, was hiding because he was ashamed of what he did. Follow me? Because he sinned, he felt bad, so he hid. Can anyone relate? 
I offer a different observation. Adam hid not because of what he did, he hid because of what he saw. He looked at himself and saw something different than what he had known. And the thing that he saw, he realized it was bad. Not his body, but his condition. Separation from God, separation. He lost the connection, his eyes. He started seeing differently. He realized something different about himself. It wasn't about, it was the sin that separated, but his, his realization of shame didn't come when he did it. His shame came when he saw who he was now. So it wasn't what he did. It was because who he became. And I believe that Adam's condition is one of the main reasons why it's not in our instincts to be able to relate to each other effectively. Let me explain. It's the shame deal. It's the shame deal, how we see ourselves, how we relate to it. What are we seeing when we see ourselves? You see, it's this game that we play, and I wanna, and I wanna flush out this game. I wanna flush out and, and really talk about this game that we play, and it's the game of life. It's the game of relationship with people. It's the game of going to elementary school and, and being around people and teachers and, and, and all of the things that we grew up doing and the messages that we're told all play into this game that we play that cause us to feel shame and that convince us that it's a natural feeling. And that's something that we're supposed to feel. And that's something that's normal and something that in Christianity we can actually be sure of because we actually have a conscience. That was a lot. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to give you the dictionary definition that I pulled off the internet of, of shame. Um, can you pull up the first definition? A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. You see, the shame that, that we perceive is always based on what we do. Does that make sense? So when we do something, we, we do something that's, that's contrary or contradicts our conscience, we feel, ugh, ugh, you feeling me? Like, ugh. And that's this feeling of guilt or shame that, that comes upon us. This feeling is, is so normal. <laughs> it's so normal for me to feel that way. It's so normal for me when, when, I, when I screw up and I do something I knew I shouldn't have done or didn't do something that I knew I should have did. It's normal for me to feel that like a regret or I wish I didn't do that. It's normal, okay? Normal, normal, normal. But I want to share a different definition um, about shame that I think is actually more accurate, which is actually going to help us, help us become free of shame as it relates to our walk in our Christianity. So shame, a painful feeling of humiliation by a person's understanding of who they are. So, <laughs> so I guess I have a question, who are you? Who are 
you? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? How do you see yourself? Remember, Adam's shame did not appear because of the action, although the action caused it. His shame and his hiding was caused by him realizing who he was now. And so what happens is, is I want to share this, this, this sequence that happens and why it's actually hard for us to relate to other people and actually have authentic, genuine relationships. Why don't you just play this out for, with me? I, I, I truly believe because I, I've noticed it and it's still, it's still something that I, that I get through is, and that I'm getting through is we actually, are, it's hard for us to really relate to people because we're afraid that if people actually knew who we were, they would reject us. We have this shame and we have this identity on our, that we're placing on ourselves and this truth that we're actually convincing ourselves of because our past experience that says, I need to act a certain way in order for people to accept me. And if I do this and we have social norms and we have things to do and not to do, and if I do these things then people will accept me. And then so we have this sequence, this game that we play that, that either we get accepted or rejected. And depending on those things, we compartmentalize those experiences in our mind and we actually start to create a belief center in which we react to certain stimuli situations in our lives. Is this okay? And so, so I want to play out a scenario for you. So here we are. You're all here, right? Some of you are 18, some of you are 19, some of you are 23, some of you are 25, some of you are 30, some of you might be older, it's okay. No matter who it is, this, this relates to you. So you develop an operating system in, in your belief center on how to belong and be liked by the people around you. So everyone has a need to belong. Everyone has a need to be accepted. It's just, it's scientifically proven that we're made for relationship with each other. We're made for horizontal relationships with people. And so what happens is you go to elementary school and you grow up and you have parents who tell you things like, shame on you. And you have parents who tell you things like, you should have known better. Not parents, maybe it was teachers, maybe it was older, older people at daycare, whatever it is, you grow up and, and you start to realize and you start to experience life. And then you go to school and you get accepted for doing one thing and you get rejected for doing another thing. And as you grow up, you start to realize and you start to, it's just natural for us to do things that make us become accepted and to avoid doing things that make us become rejected. And so now we only want to talk about things that are going to make us feel accepted. We don't want to talk about things that are going to make us feel rejected. Makes sense. So then it doesn't matter if you like sports or not. If you're in a group of people who like sports, you better like sports so you're, else you're going to be rejected. It doesn't matter if you like shopping or fashion. If you're in a group of girls or guys who like fashion, <laughs> you need to do that in order to be accepted. Are you following? This is, this is just natural people one-on-one. It's a course. You're in it right now. One and a half credits. free of charge. Make sure you give. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so then we start growing up and we, we, we develop an operating system or a belief center in who we are 
based on how other people have treated us and how other people have seen us and how other people have accepted us. And so we actually start, we grow up and we go through high school and then people, people accept us, people reject us. And we actually start believing things about ourselves that are totally based on other people's accepting and rejecting of us. It actually has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with how you've been accepted or rejected. And so we get to, and you're, let's say you're 22 years old, you get to a place and, and, you're, and you're happy. You have some people, you're accepted by a group of people and you're happy, you're okay, there's only one problem. You don't like the person you've become. And now you've developed an operating system in which you live by and which you believe is true about yourself. The only problem is you don't like what you believe. You don't like what you see. So the person that you really want to know, the person that you, that you really want to be is hidden deep down somewhere inside of you. It's, it's hidden deep down inside of you, this person that you want to be, this person that you know you should be, this person that you know God is calling you to be, this person that you know that you desire to be, but the only problem is the world has told you you can't be him. And the world is waiting for you. It says, I want to read a verse to you. It says, it says in Romans 8:19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The world is waiting for you to figure out who you really are. The world is waiting for you to stop operating out of a place of your past experience, failures, successes, and wins. They want, the world is waiting for you to become who you are. But the only problem is, is do you know, do we know who we are? You following? I'm going to stop saying that. <laughs> who are you? Who are we? Because I can say confidently, you are not the sum. I'll say it again. You are not the sum of the decisions that you've made. You are not the sum of the things that have happened to you. You are not the sum of the people who have taken advantage of you when you were young. You are not the person who is rejected. You are not the person who succeeded because here's the problem, even when you succeed, even when you're accepted, even when you're thriving, you're popular, you have friends, you have money, you have cars, you have a home, it starts to become like this to where, where, where if I got accepted by doing things, I'll always do things in order to be accepted and I'll never ever wanna be rejected because of the feeling that I have of being accepted, it feels good. So even if I've never been rejected, I'll do everything I can to be accepted. And it's actually an even more dangerous place to be than living in rejection. So you're not safe. <laughs> no one's safe from this. It's the game. It's the shame game. You could call it a cycle that we get caught up in. The things that you do do not define you. They might, they might define the current condition that you're currently living, but they do not define the person that you actually are. 
Because if we believe what the Bible actually says, we'll notice some different things. We'll notice that in Isaiah 1.18, I don't have these, so you don't need to worry about putting them up. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Psalms 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins from us. Who are you? If he's removed the sins in your life, you are not defined by your sins or your shortcomings or your failures. If he's forgiven them, why are you holding yourself to a standard that God's not even holding you to? What we're actually doing in this, in this, in this shame game, in this, in this thinking that, that what we do can actually keep us from our destiny is we're actually elevating ourselves to a position higher than God. Because we are saying, God, no, I know myself better than you. I know more than you. That's what we're actually doing. Because he's saying, I've forgiven you. And we're saying, no, you didn't. He's saying, I've forgiven you, I know. And you say, yeah, I know you're forgiving me, but it's just, it's just who I am. My previous experiences have determined who I am. Instead of letting the blood, instead of letting the blood of Jesus speak better things about us, we let our past experiences just speak through us. So now we get to people now we get to relating to people and we actually can't effectively relate to anyone because we're always needing something from them. Because we're always seeking their approval and always walking on eggshells trying to be accepted by everyone. And then we get people who, who, who say, I don't, I don't need you, I don't care what you think. People who say, I don't care what you think, you don't need to accept me. I'm fine on my own. We get people like that and... and Although they say they don't need to be accepted, deep down they know, deep down they know all they want is to be accepted and it's probably a childhood wound. It's probably something that happened when they were young. They, were, they got rejected and their heart got hardened and they, their coping mechanism is to act like they're fine. In reality, all they want is to be accepted. And so in order to be accepted, they, they act as if they don't care if they're rejected. So we have all these different type of people who are coping with this shame game in different ways. But what God really desires God really desires is, is for us to show who we truly are. For us to become vulnerable and open to showing the real us. It's a really scary place to be because it's a very weak place to be. People can take advantage of you when you show your true colors. That's why we're not asking you to go and, and be vulnerable and, and, and show your weakness to everyone. We're, we're, we're setting a stage for how we should behave and act in, in small groups 
in, in close relationships with people, brothers and sisters in Christ. We can be afraid of, of what people will do if they really find out who we are. But what if, but if they find out that I'm doing this, then they'll reject me or they'll condemn me. If they find out that I'm, that I'm this type of person, then they might not accept me in church. In reality, if God's accepted you, how can we reject you? <laughs> it's the lie that he's trying to keep us inside of ourselves so that we never open up to anyone else. Because God will not refine anything that we are not willing to present. He will not move and work and, and, and work in us in an area in our life unless we're able to present it to people and open up our hearts to say, you know what? This is who I really, this is what I'm dealing with. This isn't who I am, but this is what's going on. So I was in a, I, I was in my small group, right? And uh, I had a real problem with this, guys. This is, this is, I had a real problem with this because growing up, I had this, I had this lie that I believed that, that people would put me on a pedestal and then if I ever opened up and shared the struggles and shared the things that were actually going on in my life, if I shared those things, then they would actually, they would actually lose respect for me. And so instead of sharing and op be open to the things that were going on and not be ashamed of them, I actually hid them so that I could remain in a position that I thought of myself pride, <laughs> that I thought of myself highly so that I could keep that position. So I never actually told anyone anything. And then I got in a small group and we started to open up. We started to, to do life with each other. And we actually started to realize that we could trust each other. So I started opening up my, my life to people and I actually found great freedom in it because I was able to present what was going on. And God was actually able to say, you know what? Now I can deal with it. Now, now you don't have to deal with that, that shame of believing that that's who you are because that's just something that you're doing. That's not who you are. I believed it's who I was. And if I opened it up, then people would realize who I was, but it was actually only what I was doing. So as soon as I opened up, it, I realized that that's not who I was following. But unless we actually trust people, those things can't actually I wouldn't say can't. Those things actually most likely will get trapped inside of you and you'll live in shame because you believe it's who you are. And as I was going through this, I was, I was praying one day and, and just thanking God. And then God gave me this, this thought and it came in the form of a song. It said, with the real Jake Blaukamp, please stand up. Yeah. <laughs> Would the real Jake Blaukamp please stand up? And it gave me this thought and it brought me to tears and it brought me to the place of the judgment day where, where he, he said to me, he said, Jake, I want the person that you're gonna present to me to be the person that you're gonna present to the world. I don't want there to be two Jake Blaukamps. I want there to be one, one that I see and the one that the world sees. And as long as there's two, there'll always be a counterfeit. And you cannot counterfeit the real you. Would the real you please stand up? And if you don't know who you are, you have to get in the word of God. You have to understand what he says about you because what he says is actually who you are. Would the real you please stand up? Would the, not, I'm not talking about the Jake Blaukamp who, who, 
who likes to impress people with his, with, his, with his sarcasm. I'm not talking about the Jake Blockamp who tries to compete to win because he wants to feed his ego. I'm not talking about the Jake Blockamp who tries to impress people all the time and tries to be funny and tries to be the man. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the Jake Blockamp who God predestined before the, for, the foundations of the earth. I'm talking about the you that was formed in the womb. I'm talking about the you that you know deep down inside of you that you say, man, that's too good to be true. No, it is true. I'm talking about the you that you know you can be. I'm talking about the you that, that if Jesus was next to you, you would walk like. Yeah. And I'm telling you something, the reality is, and I'm talking to, I'm talking to all of you, I'm talking to the people who, who, who are sitting here kind of confused, I'm talking to you. The real you. The real you. One of the greatest privileges we have is to present the real us to God and then present that same person to the world. One of the greatest opportunities is for us to renew or change the way that we think about ourselves in order for our actions to fall in line with that. One of the greatest adventures is to align the person we are currently with that we are currently with the person Christ has made us to be. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks, on, looks at the heart. Guys, you couldn't, you couldn't make your bed in Antarctica without getting away from God. Come on. You couldn't. And we can't hide the motives of our heart. God knows them. I don't under, I don't, sometimes I get, think it's funny that we actually think we can hide what we're actually, that we're actually feeling. And we can hide how we're actually doing from people. I think it's quite comical that I do it. It's like, why would we do that? God knows the heart and he's waiting for us to become the person who we are inside. And the beautiful thing about this is the this, this shame game, the cycle that we get through. Remember, it's all about how you see yourself. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus came to make all those old experiences new. Jesus came to make all the old things disappear. Jesus came not only to forgive all of our sins, but to give us a new purpose for living, a new reason for being, a new reason to wake up in the morning. He didn't just forgive us for one day of a hope of heaven. He gave us life right now. And when he died on the cross, he, he reversed the sting of Adam's decision, where we no longer actually have to look at ourselves and be ashamed of who we are, but we actually can hear and listen and understand God's thoughts towards us. I'm not promising that, I'm not promising that your situations are gonna change. I'm not promising that things are gonna be different with your family. I'm not promising that situations are gonna be different with your work or with your friends. I'm not promising anything of like that. I'm just promising this, that if we will surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we will start to understand what he sees in us and that person that he created us to be.
This is how I want to end tonight. Going through some, some, some verses, some, some verses that explain who you are. These are the things that we read in the Bible. They're, they're real. I've read my Bible. <laughs> they're real. So what I want you to do is they're going to be thrown up on the board or on the screen and I'm going to read them and I want you to identify the one that just sticks out to you. The one that's like, ooh, that one sounds good or like, oh, your eye just focuses on one of them. I want you to write that one down. I want you to go home and tonight I want you to read that one over and over and over and over and over and over again. You need to meditate. Let's get this word in our hearts and actually find out what God says about us. John 1 says, we are children of God. Ephesians 1 says, he adopted us for sonship and daughtership for his good pleasure and will. Romans 15 said, you are accepted by God. Why are we looking for acceptance anywhere else? It says he's accepted us. Colossians 2 said, we are bought, brought to the fullness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says, we are united in Christ. 1 Peter 2 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are a home to the living God. 1 John 3, we are children of God. 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creation. John 3, you are loved. Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship. Galatians 3, you are sons and daughters. John 15, we are his friends. 1 Thessalonians, we are his beloved. So I want you to write that down. The verse, the one that stuck out to you, go home and study that thing. Go home and ask God. Go home and just sit and just read and read and read that thing over and over and over again until it gets down into the innermost parts to your being where, where it trumps your, your past experiences and it becomes your reality. I want to pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for, for these people. I pray that God, that we would be a people who know who we are. We would be a people who are not, who are not ashamed of what we do, but we are confident in who we are in Christ, not on our own, not by works. So God, I pray that you just Solidify this word in everyone here. I pray that you do a work in their heart, Holy Spirit. I trust you. I trust that you're going to teach each person what they need to do and how they need to change their thinking. In Jesus' name, amen.